0: Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Great to see you. My name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our preaching team. And um, man, aren't those little babies so cute? Oh, they're great. And I'm so glad I don't have to take any of them home with me. But man, they are sure cute. And we love you guys. And uh, those of you that are family members, thanks for uh, coming by and celebrating Today, as Josh said, we're going to take a break from our study in the Gospel of John today, and I just am going to do a special kind of standalone message to try to encourage parents. You know, some things in life uh, are obvious, right? You look at a porcupine and you go, "I shouldn't touch that. I shouldn't try to pet a porcupine," right? You look at a chicken fried steak and you think, "This can't be good for me," right? That's just obvious. Uh, it tastes delicious, but but obvious. I was making pancakes the other day, and my four year old little guy Hank said. Dad, I think they're called pancakes because they're cakes you make in a pan. (laughs) So, buddy, you nailed it, right? It's obvious. Uh, Another obvious thing is that parenting in a pandemic is really brutal. (laughs) It's been a hard year for a lot of us as parents and uh, lots of challenging decisions to navigate as things even reopen, uh, lots more new things to navigate. And so I just want to kind of encourage us from God's word and from God's wisdom uh, to just keep going. I want to encourage today you parents and you grandparents, those of you who are invested in the lives of kids, that you can make it and that it's worth it. Um, Now, I realize that some of you here are not Uh, parents. You you don't have kids. Uh, Maybe you don't even intend to have kids. But what I want to tell you is that I think what we're going to share today will help you in any relationship where you're trying to make a significant investment. And so I think it's still worth listening into. Now, this is a little funny for me because I'm kind of like a player coach in this dynamic. This isn't really the case as much in sports anymore, but 30, 40 years ago, it used to be that certain players would play on the team and coach the team, right? That's what a lot of people actually think LeBron is actually doing right now and always with the Lakers. Technically, there's a coach, but he's kind of the player coach. And I'm a player coach in that I'm still a a parent of kids that are in the home. I'm not an expert. I I don't have a lot figured out. There's a little bit awkward, uh, right? Last service, actually, two of my kids were in the service listening to me preach about parenting, right? Like talk about pressure, right? And so this is a funny uh, kind of experience. Um, here's, let me show you my family, introduce you to them. Um, this was a, a couple of months ago, we went to San Diego and uh, for spring break, we decided to do a taco tour. And so each uh, day we went to a different taco place to try to figure out what the best was. Our favorite was the taco stand. And Encinitas, that's our recommendation. But here's our family. So on the left there is Abby. She's 14 years old. On the far right is Caitlin. She's 12 and in sixth grade. Uh, Then Hank is sticking his head out there. He's four years old. Uh, My wife is next to him. That's Molly. She is of a certain age. And uh, then next to her is Mary. And Mary is six years old. So if you're keeping track, that means we've got high school, middle school, elementary school, preschool. Pray for me. And more than that, pray for Molly. Um, It's uh, we're right in the thick of of it with you. Um, The best case scenario really for today is I'm going to kind of be able to scratch the surface on some things related to parenting, but we wanted to be able to help you kind of beyond what any just one sermon can do. And so Robin Howey is on our staff. She's our family ministry director and uh, just finished up teaching a really helpful uh, course on parenting that some of you maybe were in. And so she put together a bunch of resources, books, books, uh, articles, videos, lots of different things that she thinks would help the parents in our church, and you can find all that if you go to gateway.redemptionaz.com/parenting. And I think the best thing that she has on there is there's actually an opportunity that she's creating for mentorship. Because a lot of times as a parent, you kind of go, well, I could read a book on this. It would actually be really helpful to talk to somebody who's been in those shoes. And so she's identified a number of different parents from different sort of stages of life and can help connect you either in an ongoing mentoring relationship or even just like who you can call when you need help kind of relationship. So uh, the information on that is at that website as well. So today what I want to do is I want to share the four D's of parenting. And these come mostly from Robin, actually. She shared these with me and I really liked them. I added one. She had three. I, I you know, I, I had to add something, right? I couldn't just preach her sermon. So I, so I uh, added one. Um, let, let me ask you, Do you think about the four D's of parenting, what do you think is number one? I've heard it. I've heard it. A few of you. Discipline. Discipline. That's the first D that we think of, especially if you've got little kids, discipline, right? Wait till your father gets home. Discipline. Now, discipline is one of the four D's, but it's actually number four. It's number four. And what we want to look at is that there's actually these three other things that need to be in place for discipline to be helpful, for discipline to be meaningful, these four D's of parenting. And and we're going to look kind of at two different passages, one in Deuteronomy 6, which really does talk about uh, what parents need to be doing, and another one later on from 1 Thessalonians 2, which isn't really a passage about parenting, but I think there's some interesting implications for it. So let's pray, and we'll uh, jump in. Father... We thank you so much that you are a good father, that you're a good parent, that you're faithful, that you're patient, that you're forgiving, and that you're kind. Lord, I even think right now of that passage that says that you rejoice over us with singing. And so, God, would we experience your word and your wisdom as you rejoicing over us? Would you help us with that in Christ's name? Amen. Amen. All right, the four Ds of parenting. Number one is destination. Destination. We've got to think as we begin to think about what it is to be a parent, what's the destination? Where is this headed? What's the goal? What's the hope of of the eventual outcome? What is the destination? Let me ask you, what is the goal of your parenting or your grandparenting or your great grandparenting? What's the goal of the people around you who are parents? See, I think if we were to look and see, what is everyone aiming at when it comes to parenting, we'd find that what we're aiming at is stuff like really good behavior. We would see that what our, our goal is is academic excellence, athletic prowess, achievement, success. A lot of times, if we're honest, our destination, our goal, is not any bigger than, "I just don't want to be embarrassed at the grocery store. Sometimes it's about competition. I'm gonna raise my kids better than my sister. Sometimes it's a, it's a not goal for parenting. I'm gonna not do it like I was raised. I'm gonna not do it like those people. But none of those are big enough. None of those are long-term enough. This was shaped for me in a really helpful way about 12 or so years ago. One of the founding elders of Redemption Gateway was a guy named Charlie Jolly. He's since gone to be with the Lord. Um, but he was such a, a great uh, voice of wisdom for me and for some of the other younger leaders as this baby church was getting started. And the thing he would always tell me, he'd say, Luke, you got to remember, because at that point, Abby and Caitlin were little. They were little, little. And he'd say, you got to remember, you're going to know your kids a lot longer as adults than you will as kids. And that was always such a helpful reframing of perspective because so often we get stuck in the immediate thing. And it's like to go zoom out, zoom out and go, that's not the goal. That's not the destination, right? Wise parents will tell you, they'll say the days are long and the years are short. And you're going to find a a day if the Lord allows you to live long enough and he doesn't return first, where you're going to have a lot more time with your kids as adults than you ever did as, as, as little kids in your home. And so that should, that should reframe, what's the destination? So I wanna share with you two goals that I think, at least for me, this is what I'm aiming at as a parent. One of them's from the Bible and one of them I think you'll just agree with. The, the first one, goal number one, this is from the Bible, is, is that our kids, this is my goal, is that they would be independent of us and dependent on God. My goal is that they would be independent of us. Do I hear an amen? right? Like, move out. (laughs) Have your own money and your own insurance and your own responsibilities, right? Like, that's a huge, significant goal. But I don't just want that. I want them to be independent of us, but dependent on God. There's this tendency in all of us that once we become independent, once we become self-sufficient, we actually forget about the Lord. That's what was mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The first few verses, verses 4 through 9, are kind of about what parents should do. But look at the destination that's in mind. This is uh, Moses speaking to the people of Israel. They've been brought out of slavery to Egypt. They're about to go into their new promised land. And Deuteronomy is this like locker room talk. Okay, we're about to go. Here's what we got to remember. And here's what it says in verse 10, Deuteronomy 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord God, you shall fear him. You shall serve by his name. You shall swear. You shall not go after other gods. See, our goal as parents is that in the long run, our kids having experienced so much of the blessing that we give them, having experienced all this stuff that they didn't earn and they didn't work for, that they would experience that blessing and that they'd be grateful to it for it. But then that they would look to the Lord, that they wouldn't forget him, that they wouldn't walk away from him to be independent of us independent of God. Now, there's a second goal, and the second goal is one I do not have a Bible verse for. It's just every parent I've ever talked to goes, yes, I want that. Here's goal number two, that our kids would enjoy being with us and with each other, even when they don't have to be. Right? I mean, I don't have a verse for that, but I'm just all over the room. I'm looking at heads going like, yep, yep, that's what I want. That's what I want. Th- this really hit home for me about five years ago. Molly's the oldest of five kids, and her, uh, the last of her siblings to get married was getting married here in town. And so um, her whole family descended on, a, right, like cicadas coming out of the ground. <laughs> if you're following that, that story in the news, the cicadas are back every 17 years. Anyway, so they're coming. They all came to visit, and it was a couple of days before the wedding, and we were all just hanging out in our house. And I'm looking around, and there's, at that point, right, all these married and about-to-be-married couples and Molly's parents. And by that point, there's some grandkids. There's now 14 grandkids in all on that side. And everybody's hanging out, and they're laughing, and they're enjoying each other, and it's fun. And I realized, and I'm an only child, so I always got along with myself. (laughs) Right? It was very different. But I'm sitting there, and I'm watching them, and I'm just going this is the goal, like this is what I want, right, because a lot of, a lot of us, a lot of you that have siblings, a lot of you, and even from larger families, you would go, that sounds like a nightmare, getting my family, my whole family together, no way, we don't want to be together, I don't want to be with them, and so at some point, the conversation kind of died down, and as I'm sort of prone to do, I sort of asked a question, I, I turned to Jeff and Betsy, my in-laws, and said, how did this happen? how did this, this happen? And we had a great conversation where all the adult kids started sharing about how they kind of developed an affection for each other and all those sorts of things. And what Jeff and Betsy basically said is, we have no idea how it happened. <laughs> it was God's grace. But they did say, but this is always what we wanted. And now, just because you want something doesn't mean it's gonna happen. But I think it's important that we keep that destination in mind. Otherwise, we just get too short-term in our thinking. So first is a a destination that they'd be independent of God, dependent or independent of us, dependent on God, that they'd want to be with us and with each other when they don't have to be. And in light of that, then we go to the second D, which is discipleship, discipleship. That might feel like a new word to you. Uh, The word disciple simply means to be a follower, to be a learner, to be a student. Jesus had his 12 disciples that would follow in his footsteps, learn from what he did, and try to emulate his life. And that's what it is to be a Christian is you're a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus. And so if that's the case, that we're following Jesus, then our parenting needs to not just be raising kids, but discipling our kids. Did you notice even that was part of the vows that these parents vowed earlier, that they would train their kids to be disciples of Jesus. A disciple maker is simply a follower of Jesus who's helping other people follow Jesus. That's what we're doing. Now, if you stop and think about it, that's scary. Because you're going like, I'm just trying to feed them and get them in bed on time and get them to school and keep them dressed. I'd like to shower at least every couple days. And now you're telling me that I also have to disciple them? I have to train them spiritually? What do you? Oh my goodness. It just can sound overwhelming. And it starts to sound really formal. Like, okay, we got to disciple our kids. Time for a family meeting. Right? It starts to sound like an obligation. It starts to sound like a duty. It starts to sound like, all right, family Bible study every night. 7 p.m. be there, right? And and just imagine how excited your teenagers would be to start that <laughs> and be going, oh, kill me, right? That's how a lot of them would feel. And I'm not trying to, if you already have a practice like that in your family, praise God, hallelujah. I don't know how you did it, but way to go, right? But for a lot of families, that just isn't Doesn't even sound enjoyable. And so one of the things that I love about Deuteronomy 6 is that the vision it gives for discipleship isn't that kind of vision. It's a much more through all of life kind of vision. Look at Deuteronomy 6 with me. It says in verse 4, hear, O Israel. By the way, this this is what the Jews famously called the Shema. They would recite this multiple times per day. The Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word that means hear or listen. Hear. Hear. O Israel, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, before we get to how we disciple our kids, let's let's start by saying the best way to be a disciple maker is to have a white hot thing with God to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Do you have a thing with God? Do you love the Lord? Not just on Sundays, not just in public, not just in front of your kids, but do you have a thing with God where you love him and you treasure him and you pray to him and you talk to him and you want to serve him and you don't do it perfectly and you constantly need to confess your sin and ask for forgiveness, but you got a thing with God. Do you have a thing with God? This is what our kids need to see. Right, Because a lot of you, if you grew up in a Christian home, I realize many of you did not, but if you did and it wasn't a good experience, my guess is it's not because of the things you were taught. It's because of what you saw lived. That's what made it hard to embrace the faith. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, your parents' behavior, not their advice, determined whether you would want to be like them or be with them. Think about that. Just think about your parents. If they're sitting next to you, just think very much about yours. Do you want to be with them? Do you want to be like them? If you do, it's probably because of their behavior more than their advice. So discipleship begins by having a real thing with God. But then look at how the teaching is to happen. Look at verse 7 again of Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So this means it's important. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. So this is a vision for discipleship that isn't about a meeting and it's not about a formality and it's not about an obligation or a duty of a certain moment or an event. This is about all of life. When, when are you supposed to do it? Well, when you're at home and when you're not at home. When you're on the road, When you're lying down, when you're up, right? This sounds like Dr. Seuss. (laughs) When you're home, when you're not, when you're not, da, 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 right? All the time, this is what it is to be a parent. Now, that can sound real intimidating, and it is. In a way, it's also freeing. Because listen, if you have a thing with God, then you notice the God flavors all around you. And you notice the foolishness of godlessness all around you. And you're driven by love and by joy and by peace and by the fruit of the spirit. And it starts to get a little bit easier. And then it's about just being intentional. And so I wanna share with you just a couple of things that, that have helped in our family. This is not the full extent of how we try to disciple our kids, but I, I, I thought these potentially could be helpful for some of you. And so the first one is something that I just call full body prayer. And I kind of heard about Uh, something like this, and I adapted it. And I did it, when I first did it, I did it for me. Because I want to center myself on Jesus every day. And I find it hard (laughs) to do that. And so I thought, you know, what what would help me? And I heard this idea, and so I tweaked it. And then uh, one day I was just up early, and Hank was up early, right? Earlier than I wanted him to be. (laughs) And I said, hey, I'm about to do this prayer. Do you want to do this with me? And we did it and he really liked it. And so then the next day he said, hey, can we do that prayer again? And we started doing it. Now we do it maybe a couple times a week. Sometimes I'll remember it. Sometimes he'll remember it. We don't do it every day. But I wanna teach it to you because I think it'll be helpful for you and it might be helpful even for your family. And we're gonna do it together in just a moment. So pay attention, all right? It goes like this. It's a full body prayer. It's got kind of four stages. The first one is you put your hands together like they're in handcuffs. And you say, Lord, without you, we're prisoners to sin. You spread your hands. So thank you for setting us free. And then you put your hands up by your chin like you're about to fight. You say, Lord, without you, we want to fight you and disobey. Then You put your hands like you're surrendering to the police. So today, we surrender to you. And then you put your hands out in front of you and you grip really tight. And you say, Lord, without you, we're selfish and stingy. And you open them and you say, so help us to be generous and kind. And you put your hands in front of your face and you say, Lord, without you, we're afraid. And your hands moving forward, you say, Lord, today, help us go to people with the love of Jesus. So let's do it together, all right? Stand up, if you're able to, stand up. Let's do this. I'll say it and then you repeat it and we'll pray and try to center ourselves even right now in this moment to the Lord. So together. Lord, without you, we are prisoners to sin. sin. So thank you for setting us free. free. Lord, without you, we want to fight you and disobey. disobey. So So today, we surrender to you. Lord, without you, we are selfish and stingy. So help us to be generous, so help us be generous and kind. Lord, without you, we're afraid. Lord, without you, we're afraid. So help us to move to people with the love of Jesus. So help us to move to people with the love of Jesus. And everyone said, "Amen." Amen. You may be seated. Way to go, everybody! You did it. What's interesting is that just started as something for me, and I found, oh man, Hank really gets attached to this. There's something about the full-bodiness of it that's sticky, helps you remember. So that's one thing we do. Another thing we do as a family is we we call it the inside-out game. It just comes from that movie, Inside Out, that it came out a few years ago about emotions. And we'll just at dinner, we might say, hey, what was a time today when you felt joy? What was a time today when you felt afraid? What was a time today when you felt angry? And we'll just talk about those things, not to judge any of it, but just to kind of listen and share. And then a third thing that we do that I think is is a a formative thing to disciple my kids is I will often ask them to pray for me. You know, as a dad, as a pastor, as a leader, can I tell you a secret? Don't tell anyone. Most of the time I don't know what I'm doing. There's a ton I don't have figured out. And And actually, my kids know that. What they don't know is if I know that. And so sometimes I'll go to them and I'll say, hey, uh, Caitlin, would you you pray for me? I've got this meeting today and I'm not going to explain it all, but I'm kind of nervous about it. I really don't want to say something stupid. Will you pray for me? Now, listen, your kids weren't designed to carry the full brunt of your fears and insecurities, right? Like they're not designed for that, but there are moments when things are heavy for you, when things are sad for you, when things are discouraging for you and for you to go to them and say, Hey, would you pray for me about this? What it does is it says, Hey, I'll be real with you. I'm going to have a real relationship with you. I'm not just going to pretend that I'm okay. Eli Leibowitz, who's, as far as I know, not a Christian, but he's a child psychologist. He says this, it is scarier for a child to have a parent who is struggling and doesn't talk about it versus a parent who's struggling and does talk about it, right? We think if if I tell my kids the truth about how I'm feeling, that's going to be really scary for them. No, what's scary for them is when they can tell you're on the ragged edge and you won't admit it. And so by asking for prayer, what you're saying is, I'm a needy person in need of Jesus. He's my only hope. Would you go to him on my behalf? You're teaching them to pray, and you're teaching them how to be dependent on God. This is what it is to disciple your kids in the moment, on the go, every day. I'm not saying you have to ask for prayer every day, but you could. But we disciple our kids. Here's the third D, is delight. Delight. This is one that Robin especially brought to my attention. When I heard it, I went, man, I would have never thought of this, but this is exactly right. That with a vision of the destination in mind, with a view of discipleship, then we delight in our kids. Our kids need to experience our delight, right? We experience the delight of God as it says in the scriptures, he rejoices over us with singing. He delights in us. If you struggle to believe that God delights in you, I want you to go this week, read Luke 15. And in Luke 15, there's this amazing story. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son. And it's about a father who's like God, who's delighting in his son, even though his son is wayward. God delights in us. And so we need to delight in our kids. In 1 Thessalonians 2, the apostle Paul is describing his relationship with the church that he started there in Thessalonica. And in it, it's interesting because he he uses the analogy. He says, I was like a a nursing mother among you. He also says, I was like an exhorting father. So get this. When, When Paul, the apostle, thinks about his discipling of Christians, he's saying it's like being a parent. And look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 he says so being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us do you see the delight there Being affectionately desirous of you, it says at the beginning, because you'd become very dear to us. When someone is very dear to you, what do you do? He says, we didn't just share the gospel of God. You needed that for sure. But we also shared our own selves. We had a real relationship. We delighted in you. You actually got to know the real us. This isn't a parent who just always has good advice and good counsel and good wisdom. This is a parent who actually loves So we got to delight in our kids. Robin Howey says it this way. She says the sad truth is that if we do not learn how to delight in our children, they will look for acceptance and approval in other areas. And I don't need to tell you, many of those areas aren't good. And Now, now this, this shouldn't be hard to figure out. Think about it for yourself. Who do you want to be around? Who do you want to listen to? Who do you want to learn from? People that you think deep down are pretty disgusted with you? You can't run from that fast enough. Me neither. Right? We don't don't want to do that. I don't want to be around people that I think hate me or don't like me or kind of just barely putting up with me. So it's no wonder that when kids feel that from us as, as parents, they want to go in their room and be on their phone. Now, this is hard for us because... Our kids aren't always delightful. I didn't hear an amen to that, but I probably could have. Our kids aren't always delightful, and yet we're called to delight in them. How do we do that? Well, spoiler alert, we're not always delightful either. And yet God loves us and delights in us and has affection for us. And so if you're finding yourself where you're going like, I want to delight my kids. I want to like them, but they're so unlikable. Then really all I can tell you is you got to pray like crazy Because as you pray for people, your heart softens for them. And you have to immerse yourself in the love of God for you. That while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. We delight in our kids. How do we do that? We do that with affectionate touch. We do that with words of kindness. I I find it's just really interesting. Sometimes with my kids, when I'm putting them to bed, I'll say to them, I'll say, Hey, Mary, I love you. I'll give her a hug and a kiss. And then I'll say, and I really like you. And her eyes light up. And she doesn't say this, but it's almost like what she's experiencing that moment is going, I expect you to love me, but I'm surprised you like me. And I'm glad you like me. That's what our kids need. They need not to be loved, but be liked. Sometimes I'll see something and I'll say uh, to one of my kids, man, when you do this, it just makes me so excited about who you are and how God's made you and what your future is. And and then there's things, Molly had this with her mom. Her mom would do these things when they were kids. Um, Every year they would do a random spoiled rotten day is what they called it. They'd pull them out of school, pull Molly out of school on a day that she didn't expect, go shopping, go to lunch, go do a bunch of things, spend a bunch of money, uh, and make it kind of a big deal. And, and because they lived a very kind of frugal life, they kind of were able to do that, right? It wasn't, I hope you know, Spoiled Rotten Day is better than Spoiled Rotten Lifestyle, right? But, uh, but, but Spoiled Rotten Day was just this, this way of Molly's parents showing delight in her. So we have a destination, we have discipleship, we delight, and finally we get to discipline. And I think this really is the right order, is that number four is discipline. Because if we start with discipline, then there's no real context for all these other things. And yet if we start with these other things, by the time we get to discipline, our kids are actually comforted by it. They're reassured. The guardrails and the boundaries are actually very, very helpful for them. Paul describes the kind of discipline relationship in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, like a father, we exhorted and encouraged and charged you. Our kids do need discipline just like we do. So what are some guidelines there? Here's some guidelines. First, start strict and then loosen. Right, those of you, especially with young kids, start strict and then loosen. If you start loose and you try to get strict... I'm seeing some nodding heads of people with gray hair that are like, that's hard. Don't, don't do that. Start strict and then loosen. Here's a big one. I, I, I've, I've made this mistake more than I would like to admit is don't make rules that you aren't prepared to enforce every single time. If it's not worth enforcing every single time, it's not worth making a rule. Because what you'll do is you'll make a bunch of rules and then you'll enforce it arbitrarily based on how you feel that day, how angry your kid met, made you. And you'll just exasperate them. Very few rules could enforce every time is far better than a bunch of rules that you're gonna half-heartedly do. Here's a third guideline is we have to discern, especially for young kids, between childishness and sinfulness. All right? Sinfulness is... When kids are deceitful, when they're disrespectful, when they're explicitly disobedient, you've told them not to do this and they do it anyway, right? That's sinfulness. But there's a lot of, that we get mad about as parents. They're just being childish. They're being kids. They're exploring. They're being, especially boys, they're aggressive. They're rough. Everything's a weapon. That's not sinfulness. That's boyishness. Now it can become sinfulness when you say, hey, don't hit your sister with that stick and he hits her, right? Okay, it just went from that to that. But you got to make that discernment. This is what God gives us. He gives us a destination that we're going to become like Jesus. He gives us discipleship. He teaches us. He corrects us. He, through all the circumstances of life, forms us into his image. He delights in us and he disciplines us. Now, you might hear those four things and mostly just feel like, well, crud. Man, I wish I'd have heard that 30 years ago. Or I wish I'd have heard that 18 years ago. Or I wish I'd have heard that 10 years ago. Or you might, if if you're like me, go, I've known all that. But man, I blow it. And if if you don't think that, you're you're lying to yourself. And this is why we need grace. Cuz we are not saved and we are not right with God and we are not okay because of our good parenting. This is one of the pressures that we often put on our kids is that we act like our whole life depends on them. It doesn't. Our whole life be, depends on Jesus and he's enough. And and we try to obey him and we try to follow him and we try to be wise and when we blow it, we need his grace. And he forgives us, and he takes the punishment that we deserve. And Jesus, the sinless one, is disciplined as though he were guilty when we, the guilty ones, go free. This is the grace of God. And parents, you need the grace of God. You will die as a parent without the grace of God. But don't give up the course. This is worth it. I heard this phrase a long time ago. And it's stuck with me for a long time. The most significant thing that you do might not be something that you do. It might be someone that you raise. Right, in my world as a pastor, and having planted a church where I'm surrounded by lots of people who are excited to do lots of great things for God. And to whatever degree I've been able to be part of doing something great for God through this church, I'm I'm thankful for that. But listen, I, with all my heart, believe that the most significant thing that I do is not anything I do at this church. It's the four people that I get to raise and I can't wait to see what God will do in them and through them they're going to go into the world they're going to kick butt they're going to be amazing and when they aren't I'm going to keep loving them because the most important thing I do isn't something I do it's someone I raise you too, let's pray God, thank you for your abundant grace. God, in the midst of all of our failure and struggle and sin, in the midst of our weakness, our impatience, our frustration, you forgive us and you cleanse us and you never ever stop loving us. And so God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us and we pray that you would allow us to imitate you as we love our kids, our grandkids, as we invest in the people around us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.